Whether you want to travel more or communicate better with international clients, you need to try Babbel. I've used Babbel's courses and you can do the same in order to learn real life conversation skills in a different language, order food, ask for directions, or speak to clients without having to use translation apps. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription. This is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash freelance. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash freelance, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash freelance. Rules and restrictions apply. I'm Brandon Hull, and this is Freelance to Founder. The world presents opportunities, and if you're so strong-willed to only pursue what you think you should pursue, I think you miss doors. Brought to you by Milo.co and the Podglomerate Podcast Network, this is the show where we learn from entrepreneurs who do understand scale. They've started off as solo practitioners, developers, designers, product marketers, or creatives, and they've found out how to grow something to be much bigger than themselves. You get to hear the details of what they did, how they did it, and what decisions were the hardest to make along the way. This is episode number 49, if you're keeping track at home. More importantly, it's the Tyla Abbott episode, and it's a doozy. At the time of this podcast, she's just nine months into starting Aether Beauty, having served for years as an expert product developer at Sephora, the American beauty retailer. Despite a great income, a great role in driving their sustainability initiatives, she needed to do her own thing, which is to build an entirely sustainable beauty brand to this point that hasn't really existed on the market. Today, it's still a one-woman brand. But you're going to be astounded to hear how much she's doing in revenue, as well as what she's had to do to get to that point, along with her full backstory. I don't mind saying that this episode will be a fun one to listen to 10 years down the road as well, when Aether is a household name. You might be wondering about that name, Aether. In Greek mythology, Aether is the personification of what's called the upper sky. That means he's the pure upper air that the gods breathe, as opposed to the normal air breathed by mortals. In short order, you'll learn why she chose that name for her brand. All right, without any further delay, I bring you the story of Tyla Abbott. Tyla, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. There's a lot of ground that we're going to cover today, and you're going to be a really unique founder for us to have on compared to so many other people that we've had on that have either been great creative founders, software founders, all sorts of other backgrounds, but yours is really special and unique. (laughs) Thanks for saying that. I want to start in the present day and get a feel before we go back in time about where Aether Beauty is today in terms of either revenue, growth, or even in terms of customers, whatever you'd like to share. What can you tell us about where the company is today? Sure. So right now I'm in over 120 retailers, which include Neiman Marcus, Credo Beauty, Detox Market, Anthropology, Urban Outfitters, Sephora, About to Be in Riley Rose, Lord and & Taylor, and tons of great mom and pop. So the brand has really exploded. Um, as far as sales, I plan to close 2019 with a little over $1.2 million. Um, And I am just finalizing my first seed round. 
So I'll be able to finally hire <laughs> um, other people to join my company because right now I'm still the only employee and solo founder. So you'll do seven digits in sales with all of those retailers as distributors or uh, partners, and you're doing that as a single employee. Correct. And I also have my own direct-to-consumer website, so I do sell directly as well. So can you share how that splits so far? Because those are some pretty significant, noteworthy beauty brands that you just mentioned, retailers. Yeah. So, um, you know, last year, I've only been alive nine months. So I'm not, um, I don't have a lot of traction behind me, but for 2018, it was about a 50-50 split. And right now, because there are so many retailers joining on, it's projected to be about a 70-30 split. That's pretty incredible. So that's, that's I assume that that is 70 through retailers and 30 yeah. through direct for now. Correct. Okay. That's, that, this is incredible. I, nine months ago, you didn't exist. I like how you said you were only born <laughs> nine months ago. But nine months ago, Aether was just, uh, just forming. The idea had to have started quite some time back. But even a year ago, would you say, is, is, is this on par with where you thought you would be? Or are you way ahead of schedule? Where does this, where does this stand in, as far as your hopes and dreams go? Yeah, I mean, as far as sales, I'm definitely, I did not have any sort of expectations as far as how high is high. I've been extremely lucky with how retailers have um, approached me and have, you know, been in love with the brand since day one. Um, I had a lot of buzz around my brand before I even launched in the industry because of my background, uh, which definitely helps. Um, but you know, launching my own brand, I really had no idea how high is high until I just started. Um, but there's been a lot of learnings (laughs) since day one. Um, yeah. So for those who don't know, you do have a background in the beauty industry. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about that? Your, your most recent past so people get a little bit of gauge like, how is this even possible? Give us some context to how that's, how that's possible in your case, at least. Sure. So um, for prior to um, founding my company, I was the head of product development at Sephora for over seven years in charge of their private label brand. So the Sephora collection brand of the retailer. And I was in charge of all makeup accessories, which means the makeup brushes, eyelash curlers, bags, sharpeners, all the tools of the trade that was not formula, as well as makeup formulations and packaging when it came to the collaborations of the retailer. Um, Some examples are the Museum of Ice Cream collaboration, the Moschino collaboration, all the Pantone collaborations, Mar Hoffman, Alexis Guitar, um, Penrose, many, many over the years. Uh, it, it sounds like you have a, a a substantial experience and expertise base in the product development aspect. A hundred percent. To say the least. Were there certain aspects as the idea started kicking in your mind that Aether should exist that you knew were gonna be challenging, that were gonna be that were gonna be new areas for you to start to develop expertise in? Yes. I mean, you know, running a business, the financials, the marketing pieces, all the pieces that I didn't do in my day-to-day job were challenging because it's not my area of expertise. Um, But beyond that, when it comes to formula and packaging, that's my passion and my expertise. So, you know, people always ask me how I can formulate such a great product. And that's actually the easiest part for me. Um, But 
you know, the idea didn't even, the idea sparked a while ago, um, but it didn't really take form until, you know, maybe a few months before I left because basically I just started having a disconnect with my job, with my day-to-day role at Sephora because I was living this organic lifestyle. I've been a vegetarian since I was 14. I worked as a cook in an organic restaurant in college. I knew how to pronounce quinoa 25 years ago and everyone you know, didn't even know what it was. Um, I had an organic couch made because I'm fearful of fire retardants and just always aware of the chemicals in our day-to-day living environments. And so when I was formulating conventional cosmetics, you know, you learn how dirty the industry is. And so I just had this disconnect with formulating conventional beauty, but living this organic lifestyle. So on top of my day-to-day role there, I actually volunteered and became the head of R&D for sustainability for the entire retailer. So I was helping all the different teams at Sephora be more aware of their um, environmental footprint and make more sustainable choices in their day-to-day. And that sort of sprung you know, an introduction into clean beauty because Sephora started to ideate their Clean at Sephora campaign. And I was brought into these third-party natural brand meetings at Sephora. And these brands were presenting their newness. And I've tried all the brands in the clean beauty space. And for me, they were very lackluster when it came to competing against the innovation that you get in conventional beauty with the brands at Sephora. So I just saw this huge hole in the market forever. Um, But for me, it was so obvious. I was like, oh, someone's going to do this. Someone's going to do this. It's not going to be me. I didn't even think it could be me. Um, And then I just one day realized nobody's doing this. So um, that sort of sprung the idea. When did that moment happen? What, what, do you remember where you were? What was happening when the when you just felt like it needed to be me? Um. Well, to be honest, I actually started looking around for other jobs. So I wanted to be in clean and natural. So I started to look to other brands and retailers that were interested in creating a clean brand. And I was interviewing for this one role at a retailer, and I really wanted the job. So I actually formulated an entire range of color cosmetics for the interview, which is completely unheard of. But during the interview, nobody would touch the product. Like nobody would actually try it on. Nobody um, would, you know, would try it. And they said to me, you know, they wanted me to be the expert in this space, that they would hire someone in this role, that it's not their area of expertise. So they didn't want to try the product because they were actually a clothing retailer. It wasn't their, um, it wasn't their main category. But for me, that was such a huge red flag because I was like, oh my God, they don't understand how good this is. And so my husband was like, why are you going to give this to them? Like, why don't you do this yourself? And it just started, it just, you know, I was like, can we afford it? I have no idea. And so we like sat down to figure it out a little naively (laughs) Um, before, you know, I just decided to actually quit my day job and leave to start my brand. There was no in between of, you know, freelancing or anything. It was sort of all or nothing. And um, I left 
April of 2018, and I launched the brand June 23rd, 2018, which was the summer solstice. What what blows me about, away about this story is that you you were called upon to work within the confines of Sephora to do the best you could within the that that environment mm-hmm. to to build a an appreciation for sustainability for organic brands and yeah. and uh, did you just feel like you reached your ceiling maybe a little bit there and that's why you're looking for maybe another much, avenue. Yeah. Just because, you know, for me, packaging was just as important as formulation. And in that role, I actually got to meet a ton, tons of engineers in this space. I talked to packaging designers. I went to recycling facilities and learned how products were recycled or mostly not recycled, which was completely mind-blowing to me. Um, and I just thought, you know... You know, Sephora is a well-oiled machine. It's a large company. And so it takes, you know, sometimes a long time to get something accomplished. And the market moves extremely fast. So I just, you know, it wasn't that I thought I couldn't do it there, but it wasn't like I could just create a clean brand there. That wasn't the um that wasn't the, you know, ethos of the of their brand. Right. And it seems like to me you were you were an employee of Sephora with some very strong values and appreciation for this lifestyle that we're always going to be needed to, to take either a backseat or we're always going to be curtailed to some extent, right? Because you, while Sephora might embrace that uh, wholly, you're still going to have some degree of, of uh, I don't know, almost, you're going to be, you're going to be sort of uh, curtailed a little bit as far as how much of your vision you could see in any sort of brand along these lines, like a brand within the brand, right? Exactly. And like wherever I could implement something I did on my own versus outside teams. So even with directly with product, like we switched all the paper packaging to FSC certified paper. We walked away from animal hair bristles to all synthetic bristles, like little changes that I could, I definitely implemented, but I just knew it could be better. Um, And so yeah. And basically, you know, not a lot of people, <laughs> not a lot of people would have left that job. It was one of my, it was my most favorite job I've ever had. Literally. I traveled the world all the time, going to amazing places from Asia to Australia, to Indonesia, to France a few times a year, to Italy, to many, many places. Um, I was paid a very substantial paycheck with lots of great, you know, bonuses and, you know, um, lots of great benefits. And not a lot of people would jump ship to um, to create their own brand from that, especially at my age. So why you? Why, why do you feel so compelled to have started Aether and... What is driving you? Yeah, well, sustainability has always been part of my ethos just as a human being. And I just knew the industry um, was ready for a shift. So, um, you know, when I launched, people weren't talking about sustainability and packaging in the cosmetic industry. It started to buzz and really come alive this year. Um, which even I have a PR person that I work with and she was like, you couldn't have hit all the trends on the head, like any, any more than you actually could. And I've actually had over 150 press hits since I've launched, which is also insane. Um, but I always tell her, I'm like, I didn't do this for press. I did this because I believe, you know, you can do this. And people think that 
beauty has to be, you know, either in like granola, bamboo, whole food sort of packaging. But I was like, I know you can do this in a sophisticated way and still get the efficacy that the conventional beauty person is looking for, because it's not just the natural girl who wants clean beauty or guy or whomever. All of us should have the right to choose clean beauty and not be giving up what they look for in a cosmetics brand. Have you ever noticed that many of the problems people calling with on this show can be solved by hiring someone? Sometimes you need a full-fledged team, other times maybe just a simple assistant or an expert in something you're not great at. Whatever your reason for hiring, we recommend you take a look at LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. As you may know already, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn Jobs makes the process of finding the perfect teammate easy and intuitive. Hiring is always easy when you have access to so many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours when using LinkedIn Jobs. I've used it myself, and it was so simple. In fact, I've made multiple hires using LinkedIn Jobs. And did I mention, by the way, it's free to business owners like me and you. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash freelance. That's linkedin.com slash freelance to post your job for free or click the link in our show description. Terms and conditions apply. You know, working from home is mostly great, but there are some days when I realize I haven't left my house or even my chair like all day. Have you been there? Getting outside to exercise or making a trip to the gym are just harder now that my office is just a flight of stairs away. If you're stuck in the same rut as me, then you should try Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W. With the Hydro rower and 20 minutes a day, getting a full body workout is so much easier. Hydro can work up to 86% of your muscles in just 20 minutes for an insane effective home workout. That's because Hydro pairs the effectiveness of rowing with the power of technology to connect you with over 5,000 video trainings, classes, and workouts. And get ready to get out from behind your home desk because after a few months of daily rowing with Hydro, your partner's going to want to take you out for a night on the town to show you off. This spring, join the growing rowing community at Hydro. Head over to hydro.com and use code FREELANCE to save up to $400 off your Hydro. That's H-Y-D-R-O-W.com and promo code FREELANCE to save $400. Hydro.com, promo code FREELANCE, or just click the link in our show description. So you have really strong opinions about this, and it and it it's clearly it's an important part of you as well. And and yet, from a DNA standpoint, it sounds like for a significant part of your career, you were perfectly happy to be an employee, maybe an influential employee from a, uh, an initiatives or a value standpoint or a cause standpoint, but an employee. As you started to realize this needs to be you that founds a new brand that brings something new to the table. Did the idea of being the one, being the founder, being the leader, the, you know, the, the initiator, the founder of a company, did, that, did you struggle with that part of it at all? No, I've always been a creative person. So I have a BFA in video sculpture um, and double MFA in fashion design and knitwear design. And I worked in the fashion world before I transitioned to beauty. And I've always been an incredibly visual person, but also with a great blend of left and right right brain, um, which I've always been told has been one of my greatest assets um, to be able to be a creative person, but really understand the other side of the business. So for me, 
you know, I kind of need full creative control. Not that I can't work with other people. I did it all the time at Sephora, but I just had a vision. And so it poured out of me in a way that was actually quite easy, which I actually second guessed a ton of it. So I was like, this was too easy. I don't really, you know, it should have been harder. Um, But I just have been dying to work on something like that for so long that it just came through me. And so because of that flow, I was like, oh my gosh, I think I should do this because I've always actually been an entrepreneur. So I have been someone that has always made my own stuff like crafts or whatever. I was a little kid and I used to make jewelry and sell it outside my dad's dentist office when I was like seven years old um, and always just made stuff and sold it. And I just knew at some point that I would do my own thing, Um, but I didn't know what it was. And I've always thought of ideas all the time, but I always talk myself out of it. So for instance, you know, my other passion is cooking and I always have ideas when it comes to kids products, but I've never worked in kids products. Um, so, you know, I had an idea for, a for this idea for food, for children's products, and I did enough research into it to know that it would just be something that wouldn't be right for me to pursue. And so those sort of ideas would happen all the time. And with this, I never hit a wall as far as, um, as far as thinking over a roadblock, not that there's not roadblocks, but there wasn't something telling me this isn't right. And in fact, all the doors just kept opening and I was like, oh my God, like, I think this is it. And so I just took a chance and I have a supportive husband who has been able to help me as much as he can. And just, you know, he, (laughs) I'm a go-getter. So he's like, go get them. (laughs) Let's see what you can do. I like that. I like that you know that about yourself first and foremost, but I also like that you're able to go back in time and see and connect the dots, you know, to... I had this in me, even in the earliest years, it seems like you, you know yourself well and knew yourself well back then even. Totally. And what's funny is that when I was in college, I worked at this organic restaurant and I actually made like homemade skincare items, like lip balm and lotion and stuff. And I just sold them at the restaurant and I sold them at like maybe local craft fairs for a little bit. And it was just more a hobby because I like to make stuff, just physically make stuff. The, the you know action of doing it just is satisfying. So someone once said to me, you know, why don't you make this a real business back when I was like 19? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm not really interested in, grow- you know, working in the beauty industry. I don't know anything about the beauty industry. I'm actually going to art school to be like an artist. So like, I didn't even think about it to, you know, if someone would have told me, you know, a decade or so later, you would own your own cosmetic business. Like I would just, you know, I would have never believed them. I I think what's amazing is how many founders have one path in mind for themselves and they're willing to go that path. Sometimes it's a path that's been prescribed for them by parents or something like that. And they're willing to go that path uh, to start and then discover that this is not where they're supposed to be heading versus the story I think we tell ourselves of founders that they are in college coming up with this idea, or I mean, they're always thinking of entrepreneurial pursuits that they could uh, that they could unlock, you know, or or finally uh, invest the, in in for themselves. And and so often, I feel this the real story is that people are following a certain path and sort of allowing things to 
reveal themselves to the person themselves that this is the, the an alternative path they're supposed to be taking. Do you feel like that's the case with you? A hundred percent. So, you know, I never really had a specific, this is what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I just looked for opportunities and I also just knew where my passions were. So I knew I was a creative person. I also knew, you know, part of me wanted to have a restaurant too, you know, but I just having a restaurant's very difficult and you're working all the time. So I knew working in restaurants, that wasn't necessarily my path for now. Although I have said, if I retire, I'd love to have like a bed and breakfast or something, but, um, cause I'm somebody that will probably never like really retire, retire, but, um, but yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because you know, the world presents opportunities and if you're so you know, strong will to only pursue what you think you should pursue, I think you miss doors. And even, even me getting a job at Sephora, I was going to tell them no. So what the funny thing is, is I almost didn't even work at Sephora. So, um, you know, as I mentioned before, my background's actually in fashion design. So I worked in the fashion world for over five years before I transitioned to beauty. And one of my old bosses became a vendor for Sephora and they were looking for a product development person. And so she recommended me and I was like, Oh no, I know nothing about beauty. And she was like, Oh, just go on the interview. You never know. And so for me, it was actually more interview practice than anything because I didn't think I would be qualified for the job. And so even in the job interview, you know, I told them, I was like, I barely wear tinted moisturizer. Like, I don't really know anything about this space, but they were more interested in my portfolio. They were more interested in the fact that I had all this experience creating an idea and seeing it through all the way into production and stores and to sales and all that stuff. So um, it was just interesting to me because I just, you know, uh, like they offered me the job and I was like, are you sure? (laughs) And I almost didn't take it. And my boss was like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, you're not successful, then you quit and do something else. But you never know unless you try, which is like the simplest advice ever. But I didn't even think about it. I was like, okay. And then, you know, it literally became my most favorite job I've ever had. So the great thing about Sephora is that it's such a large company, but it's lean and mean, but it really believes in the creatives in that institution, which is not a common thing. Even in fashion, when I worked in that industry, you know, it was a lot of business people running the business and running what the creative aspect to be. And I think a lot of things get dumbed down that way, where Sephora is more of a risk taker. Um, And their philosophy was like, you know, even if something bombs or something happens, like we'd rather you take a risk and learn from it. And in that, like I won so many awards under their umbrella for products that I uh, created, as well as they have like an employee of the year that is like a huge sought after um, um, award. And I won that the first year I was there with less than six months on the job for the um, category. So I didn't expect it at all. And I had, I'm also one of my biggest fears is speaking in front of people. And I had to speak in front of like 1200 people. So that was, that was nerve wracking, especially if you didn't expect it. On one hand though, it, so since you went the employee route first and then discovered in yourself that you need to do this for yourself and for the world, was that part, you had been groomed and given an opportunity to lead an important initiative within Sephora. Mm -hmm. And you had a lot of um, creative freedom. It sounds like there to, 
pursue things that were important to you that that the company was willing to embrace as well and interact with people, notwithstanding the speaking experience, (laughs) interact with people in ways that that are kind of fun to do when you have those sort of uh, creative roles in in larger companies. Was that as you transitioned Mm -hmm. from an environment that was very encouraging, uh, welcoming and growth oriented for you at Sephora, were you worried about missing that piece uh, of being in an environment with other creative, smart, right brain and left brain individuals and going out on your own where it's literally just you? No, but that's because um, I have a clear vision. And I also, it's not like, so I do work with other people. They're just not my employees. So I work with my vendors. I work with other you know, aspects of people that I need for the business and people that I've worked with for years. So I've, you know, get, if I need like to bounce back an idea off of someone, I can get that. Um, but usually I'm pretty clear on something. Um, if something is just a little off, then I'll get other people's opinions. But, um, the creative aspect is not something I miss at all. Um, it was just more, you know, when I was at Sephora, you kind of just hit your threshold of what you can learn and everything that you can offer. And then for me, I just started getting bored. And that's the worst thing for a creative person is to start getting bored. And that's why I started to look in the market to see if there were other jobs or other brands I could work for that did align with my ethos. So that's sort of what is what happened. And every time I've been at a job and I started getting bored, that's always my signal that it's time to move on. What was day zero like then? What was day one or day zero? The day after Sephora, when when the door closes at Sephora, but maybe before Aether exists officially, what was that first day or first couple of days like? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it was a little hard because um, I have little kids. And so I have a six-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son. And my son is in preschool only a few days a week. So I have a home office. It's not like, you know, I have anything fancy. And so he would, you know, bust in all the time or I'm on a conference call and I was like a temper tantrum. So that's been interesting to navigate. But um, the funny thing is, is I created like a landing page and I had an Instagram account, just really creating the feel and look for the brand without launching the product. And I actually, you know, when I left Sephora, I'm friends with all every all the buyers and the merchants and stuff. And I was like, love you guys. Peace out. Like we can talk in a few years sort of thing. Like who knows, maybe. And I was like, but just so you know, like I'm way too small for Sephora. And a month after I left, so not exactly the first day, but a month after I left, all of a sudden my phone was blowing up like crazy. And so what happened was Sephora, um, is or pays to be part of NPD, which is a company that takes data from all these companies in fashion and beauty. And then Sephora supplies their data, and then they're able to go into the company and get the data and analyze who's winning in foundation or fragrance or what brand is the top seller sort of information. And they come every year and present a trend presentation for Sephora. And they actually presented my brand back to Sephora as a California wellness brand for them to watch and like help grow. 
And how soon was this after you left? After I left, which they all knew that I was doing before I left. I was very transparent with everyone there, um, which was kind of interesting. Like just, you know, and and the buyer was like, are you sure you're too small? Can we have a conversation? And I was like, we can have a conversation, but I was the one helping to negotiate your contracts with all of our vendors. Like I know how like, you know, a small brand can just die in that environment. So it took me three months, but I negotiated some pretty amazing terms that have helped me negotiate all my other retailer terms um, because no one's, you know, as powerful as Sephora. So if people are coming after me with more aggressive terms that I gave Sephora, I just say, this is what I gave Sephora. So if you want me, this is what I can agree to. And if you don't, that's totally fine. Like I don't have to be in everybody's retail door. So people luckily just love the product and you just want it. So a lot of times I get messages from buyers that are like, okay, I have to get, you know, senior write off or like, I have to go talk to our legal team, but they always come back, you know, that they're able to change the terms. So, um, I've been very successful in that way, but it also, you know, really just is kudos to the product because if I didn't have a good product, that would not happen. So within three months of having left Sephora, they become your first customer. They actually weren't. (laughs) Oh, you you found something in between that time. I actually launched direct to consumer first. So I was very naive about this. And, um, you know, I'm completely self-funded. So I actually, you know, in order to get money, I refinanced our house to take money out. That's how I did it. And um, so I didn't have a ton of marketing dollars or anything. And so, you know, everyone was like, oh, just partner with influencers. And so I did. And, you know, I had a lot of influencers talk about the product, which has definitely helped. But, you know, it didn't bring on insane sales that you hear with all these DTC brands. And so, you know, clean beauty is interesting because that consumer specifically likes to do their own research. So, you know, she might hear it from an influencer or see it from somewhere, but she'll still go off on her own and educate herself. It's the same with the organic food, you know, buyer. They're usually a very educated consumer. And so, you know, sales happen. They, it was not like all at once. It's like been a trickle that has been growing and growing and growing, which is great. But because, you know, I naively was like, oh, you know, not really, but I was like, oh, I'm just going to have a ton of sales overnight. Like that didn't really happen. So I was like, okay, you know, I need to sort of reevaluate this and maybe let's try a retailer. So I partnered with Credo Beauty, which is basically a natural Sephora. They have about eight doors, I believe, in the US, um, but they are all clean beauty. And so they're one of the authorities in this space. So I launched exclusively with them, which was very successful. And because of that, I had other retailers. I actually had Neiman Marcus knock the day I launched. But I was so sort of pig-headed, was like, oh, no, I'm DTC. Like, I don't want anything to do with retailers right now. And then on top of it, I was like, Neiman Marcus, like, you know, like, they're such a, um, I haven't been in a Neiman Marcus for years. Like, I had no idea what they were doing when it came to supporting indie brands or trending beauty brands. So I could just kept saying no to them. And at one point, they were like, can you just have a phone call? <laughs> like, we want to talk with you. And so I did. And then I learned about how they partnered with, um, Indie Beauty Expo, which is a um, trade show for indie beauty brands. And they take on, you know, selected brands into their retail arm in this section of their store. And so it's actually been quite successful for me, which I think is also kind of funny how naive I was about, um, 
that retailer just because, you know, I didn't think my client existed there and it obvious, they obviously do. So, um, you know, a, a lot of this is a lot of trial and error and seeing what resonates the most with your client, but being able to react and change. So, you know, if I was just DTC minded, I would have not have grown, you know, to be projected to do over a million sales for my first full year of sales. So let's, let's, I want to go back in time and get into some nitty gritty for just a little bit, because I think one area that I think people would be asking themselves right now is what groundwork did you lay to enable this to happen so quickly from a, what the product is standpoint to a packaging standpoint to even supply inventory standpoint, what type of work did you do so that day zero was like that, you know, that, that you could, you felt like you could have conversations and fulfill potential orders, whether they were DTC or uh, direct to consumer or through a retailer that eventually emerged through Credo. It sounds like that was the first one. So what did you do to enable that to happen? And how did you partner with people to make some of those things possible? Yeah. So for me, you know, to step back a little bit. So the word aether is a really old word. So the Greeks considered it the air that the gods breathe and Aristotle considered it the fifth element to earth, air, fire, water. So it's basically the medieval concept of the cosmos, which the word ether eventually came from. Um, And that's really important to me because in the clean beauty space, all of the brands that exist very much lack when it comes to branding and storytelling. So when I walked into these natural retailers and I was looking at these brands, if you stripped away their logo or if you looked on their Instagram, they all looked the same. And on top of it, you know, the product wasn't that innovative. So it was like this, nothing here is speaking to me. A lot of people focus on the negativity in the space. So it's a lot of like doom and gloom and you have this chemical, it's going to cause cancer. And, you know, it's a lot of fear mongering um, instead of focusing on the positive aspects of it. So I really wanted to create a brand that resonated and talked to my client in a positive way. So the hashtag for the brand is good vibes beauty. Um, But because of that, you know, I created a a lot of visuals for the brand. So the brand really lives on Instagram. I've been the only one who has done my Instagram. So if you DM anyone there, you're talking to me. Um, I have like a crazy amount of interactions a month that it's like insane. I don't even want to admit, but, um, I talked to everyone on that space and I've been able to grow it to over 16,000 followers in less than nine months. Um, and then, you know, but the visuals on there incorporate the cosmos, they incorporate the product, they incorporate the ingredient story. Um, and then the sustainability aspect as well as the positivity. So, um, I wanted, I had to only, I could only afford to launch with one product. So that was it. I had to buy the MOQ, which was one product. One product. one product is all that you had in development or in mind as part of your launch as you left Sephora. That's it. Well, no, I have about two years of product that I've developed and that I'm working on that I have ready to go, but I could only afford to launch one at a time. Got it. So I launched one product. Um, and I didn't even have my second product until three days before Christmas last year. So, and I still only have two products. Um, I technically launched a third product, but, um, Sephora bought all my quantities. (laughs) Um, and so I had to 
quickly place a reorder. So I won't even be able to get those units for the reorder for myself and other retailers until the end of July. So it's a good problem to have, but you know. Is this wisdom that you would pass on to another product developer who wanted to start their own company to do it just this exactly this way or not so much? Well, you know, it depends on how much you can afford. So I can only afford one product. And for me, you know, I launched with an eyeshadow product and it's the Rose Quartz eyeshadow product and uh, eyeshadow palette, excuse me. And basically I wanted to think strategically on what I was launching because it had to be recognizable enough that this one product to launch, you know, people are curious enough to know or want to question or find out more about what this brand is. So the design of the palette is a very interesting design. Nobody else has a design like that. And I'm talking about the inside when you open it to see the layout of the pans. Um, And I knew that because of my years at Sephora, we would always make sure whenever you open the product, how it looked visually, because that's how photographers photograph it in magazines. So You know, a lot of times people love the outside of my packaging, but they never photograph it. So people are always surprised and delighted when they see my outside of the packaging because they're like, oh, my God, it's like 3D and raised and really pretty and all of that stuff. So I love all these surprise and delight elements that come across. But also eyeshadow palettes in the clean beauty space are completely lacking. And that was one of my biggest pet peeves when, you know, I, I'm the consumer. I want to be wearing, you know, safe, non-toxic products. And so when I was going to look in the space and it just really didn't exist, I was like, oh my God, it's so obvious. Okay. I'll, I'll launch with an eyeshadow product. Um, cause if I launch with like a foundation range or a liquid lip, like there's no way to really make a strong impact visually versus an eyeshadow palette, an eyeshadow palette. And that being said, who knows what's going to happen in the next five years? Who knows, you know, how penetrated the market will be? Like, would that be the same way to go for someone else? I would assume it would change, but um, that's sort of what I did. So good design takes time. Yes. How did you go about the process of designing what this product experience would be like were there other people that you and that were involved in the process i know product uh marketing product creation product development is your expertise but how did you go about creating a brand new product when you can start from scratch Mm -hmm. and your only anchors are other things in the industry non-existing products that you're you know you're you're extending a line or something like that how did you know how to start from scratch did you do it all yourself did you do hire a design firm Because people always say, like, I must have spent so much money on a design firm. um, And that's why my product is so expensive. And I'm always like, nope, it's me. And I'm literally free. So I didn't spend a dime on a design or marketing um, outside agency for any of that. So um, I had an outside agency help me with my website because I'm not a web developer and all of that. But I literally, like, took a pen to paper and just started sketching what I think I would want it to look like. So it was more of a game of Tetris for me um, because I like, you know, I like puzzles and I like putting things together. And I launched the first zero waste eyeshadow palette in the beauty industry um, because that was important to me. And it was the things that I learned at Sephora. So visiting these recycling facilities, I learned that magnets and mirrors are completely unrecyclable. 
and they're thrown into every single makeup component. And I'm like, literally when I travel, either the mirror breaks or I'm going to be using this product in front of a mirror. So why is everybody shoving a mirror on all of these palettes? This is insane. And, you know, from that, I was like, okay, well, am I going to do a plastic component? No, I don't want to do plastic. Okay. Then the other option is paper. I didn't like reinvent the wheel when it comes to, you know, creating a palette made out of paper. I made sure the paper was FSC certified. I used water-based soy ink. I talked to the printers to make sure the inks, colors, and metallic finishes I used could actually make it be recycled because just because something's paper doesn't mean that it could actually be recycled. It has to do with how it's printed and the sort of inks used. Um, but it was just thinking differently. And then how do you think about it and design it in a sophisticated way? So it's not like a flat, you know, palette. It has these angles to it, which resonate with the name because I infuse um, crystals and gemstones into all of the formulas. And so it has this sort of cosmic element. So I just wanted to do a nod to a crystal. And that's sort of how the, how the design came through. But, you know, for me, besides something being clean, like the formula was also important. And like for me, something being clean, vegan, cruelty-free was a baseline where that's where a lot of these people just stop. And I wanted to make sure the ingredients I sourced were not only organic, but they were fair trade and ethically sourced. So a lot of the products and ingredients, unfortunately, in this space are, you know, derived from palm oil or they're derived with ingredients that are linked to child labor. And those are the things the industry doesn't talk about. But because I have this industry experience, I know about it. And so that to me was the baseline. Now, is that exactly what the consumer is looking for? Not necessarily, but it's something that it's also that, you know, I don't shove it down their throat. I want it to be a brand that is just beautiful, that people want to buy. And then, oh, P.S., it's good for you. Oh, P.S., it does this. I also give 1% of, uh, 1% of sales to certain charities. So um, I just partnered with 1% for the planet for everyone, for all my charities going forward. And I get to pick different environmental charities that they partner with to give my sales to. So one of them, I just launched my third palette on Monday, which was Earth Day. And I literally just had a few units besides the ones that Sephora bought. Um, but I am partnering with the Surfrider Foundation. So they help to protect the oceans and help clean the oceans with ocean plastic. So for me, it's, again, a vehicle I can use to just make the planet better. Because one of, one of the things that always stuck with me as a product developer, when I worked in fashion, I worked for this local design house that used to make all of their goods in-house for over 20 years. It was unheard of and amazing. But while I was there, she transitioned all the production to China. And I, you know, it was an interesting learning experience because I went from just walking to the back of the room and talking to um, pattern makers or like it was a knitwear house to um, knitwear designers or um, knitwear programmers to having to talk to people in China and working with these factories that had very lo little MOQs. And so I went all over China once every two months for years to many places in China and saw a lot of things I wish I could unsee. So it always stuck with me that I didn't want to be a part of that with whatever I produced. And was that the moment in your career where you felt like, whoa, things have got to change? 
things have got to change with how I think these industries operate. I think I was young at that point and I didn't realize the impact on me until I was older. So for me, it was it wasn't like I was just giving up my hands and being like, oh, this is, you know, the owner's choice. It it was more like I felt unempowered to do a to create a change. All of these things that we're talking about, I feel like add up to an easy, defensible position from a marketing standpoint as Aether being a premium brand. Not the least of which is you're not doing mass production on the scale that some of these other brands are doing. But uh, was it important to you that the brand is a premium brand as you... Well, you know, analyzing the market, I definitely analyze the clean beauty space, but I also analyze conventional because my brand bridges both. And I didn't want to be pigeonholed into just a clean brand because in my opinion, hopefully the industry will change in like five to 10 years and everybody will be clean. It won't even be a word. It'll just be beauty. That's what I hope to happen. But that's why I'm adding all these extra layers of you know, storytelling and branding and all these other sustainability aspects, because that's what my brand is about. Um, But for me, you know, I always, I'm a Sephora girl and Sephora's prestige. Um, I was not interested in formulating anything in China. So you're looking at, I only formulate in the US or Europe. Um, So you're looking at prestige prices in general. And then on top, you know, on top of it, I pay for organic and fair trade. So the majority of my cost is the cost of the formula. Um, It's not the packaging. It's not the marketing. It's not anything. It's literally the cost of the formula. And but you get such a great reaction when people try it and touch it. It's incredibly buttery. It lasts all day, even without a primer. People are like, finally, there's a brand that is giving me what I've been looking for for years. So, you know, the buzz about it has been insane. And I haven't, you know, I could never be more grateful for all of my fans out there um, of the brand, because they're the ones that are talking about it and, you know, telling their friends about it. So because I don't have a ton of marketing behind me, it's literally been word of mouth. And do you feel like the where you're at today with how the decisions that you made for what the brand is, not just how you've packaged it or marketed it, but how the brand is perceived, I, I guess is the best way of putting it. Do you feel like it's it's where you're at and like it's had the nice blend of being just a great product, but also it's it's got a great cost or a great perspective behind it? Um, do you feel like that you've you've arrived at a nice blend of those uh, of those perspectives or what the brand is is needs to be I mean you're only nine months in <laughs> do you feel like you've hit the, the chords right to begin with or is there work that you still want to do in that way I think the brand gets a lot of credit for holding its own in the clean beauty space and I think the brand gets gets a lot of credit for the formula being great that the conventional buyer is looking at it just from a formula perspective they might not even care if it's clean. So for me, it's already bridging these two worlds, which was my goal. Um, I think I, you know, am lacking sometimes when it comes to credit of all the sustainability aspects I'm doing or lacking credit that I'm the only founder. Like people look at the brand and they look at my website and they look at my Instagram and they assume I'm a large company. So that's sort of the catch 22 with growing so quickly. People um, just assume all of these things. And, you know, 
that's sort of where I'm lacking is more, you know, them understanding that it's just one person behind it. So that's why I talk to so many people on Instagram and I actually let them know. Um, And I've gotten so many messages of people, you know, becoming my cheerleader even more when they find out it's just me or I'm female founded and like all these great nuggets of the brand. There's just so much to discover. So, um, you know, do I get credit for all these discoveries? Not yet. Do I think people like understand sustainability in beauty? I don't think so. I think there's definitely room to grow. Um, but do I think people love the brand and are have an affinity to it? Absolutely. And what are the challenges that you face going forward, whether it's in perception or in reality, a one person brand uh, with all of the activities that have to be managed in order to fulfill retailer expectations, to manage the direct-to-consumer side, to manage the social channels and the and the communications that come from that. What do you see as the near-term challenges that you have with managing the growth that you have had so far? Yeah. So I am looking to close my first seed round within the next month. And so that will give me the financial backing to be able to hire some people. So that will definitely help. And it will also give me marketing dollars to be able to use, to be able to like, you know, megaphone and create brand awareness. Because even Sephora is like, this product is innovative. The packaging is beautiful. The branding, the store, everything is beautiful. The only thing you're lacking is brand awareness. So how do I grow that as quickly as possible? You know, I'm looking to find that right partner. So will there be great wisdom? from Sephora that you can apply to your next phase of growth? Or do you feel like you're sort of uh, working on a whole new path that doesn't relate to Sephora because of the budgets and so forth that Sephora had to work with and you need to blaze a whole new trail here? I don't think I need to blaze a whole new trail. I, you know, for me, it's all about being able to launch the other products that I've been working on. Um, because I won't launch something unless the packaging is 100% recyclable, which is quite hard to do. So, you know, anytime you see anything with a pump, which means any foundation, um, the pump is not recyclable. So I won't launch it. So um, I think out of the box. And like I said, it's like a Tetris game for me is how do you come up with a different solution that is still prestige, that still resonates with your brand, that would still, you know, look beautiful on the shelves of Sephora. Um, Sephora will always be, you know, someone that I will partner with. So how do I grow the brand in the right way that resonates at Sephora and sets me up for success there as well? So it's a little bit, you know, some of it's trial and error. A lot of it is just, you know, how much money do I get to, you know, just jump at the bit on that. Um, But yeah, it definitely takes money to play in this space. So especially with all of the marketing dollars with ads and all of that fun stuff. So, um, you know, I think that was one of the most naive things I had going into this was how much money I actually would need for marketing. Um, It's a very expensive game to play in. And so, you know, how do you balance it? How do you do it in the right way that resonates with your customer? in, you know, and what's authentic to the brand. And as you, as you think about what life will be like with additional employees, Uh, with different (laughs) aspects of that, are you worried at all about losing the brand's feel because the brand and you are the same for now, even though you've done a great job of talking about the brand in a separate, (laughs) as a separate entity, it is you. 
at some, mm-hmm. at some point in the very near future, as you add new employees, they're going to have responsibilities that to represent the brand in different ways, whether it's with the retailers, with if operations um, and, and so forth, or if it's even interacting with customers through direct to, to consumer uh, channels. Uh, it, are you worried about losing that piece or have you thought about what you'll need to do to ensure that the, the brand still has its values and has its voice the way it has under your direction? Yeah, I'm not really concerned about that piece because I am so involved. You know, the people that I would hire would be um, not on the creative side. They would be on the on um, efforts that balance me out that I'm not, you know, able to put all my time in. So like an operations person, a finance person, um, a salesperson, you know, a lot of different hats that you need in order to grow this. Um, I don't, you know, salespeople are really great at talking about the brand story because usually, you know, they're motivated via sales. Um, So like, you know, if you, even if like at one point, say I sell the company and, you know, someone else takes over as creative director or something, you know, that's why you make like branding codes and you, you know, you create things that are very accessible for someone else to take over and sure they might have their own interpretation of it. And, you know, by then it'll, you know, need a refresh. So I'm never against something like that. It's just a matter of, you know, I would be more concerned with someone making unsustainable choices versus, you know, um, getting maybe the creative direction a little different. So I just really want to be a brand that stands for, you know, um, being sort of the golden child on sustainability and looking at packaging. Like people always ask me, they're like, aren't you afraid someone's going to rip you off? And like knock you off. And I was like, I hope people knock me off. Like this industry needs to change. Like a third of the landfill waste is from the personal care industry. Like, okay, like maybe they're gonna copy my formula or do something else. But I'm two years ahead already creating formula that they don't even know what's gonna come out. So I will always be ahead of the game in that space. Um, and that's what a, a great product developer does. So I, I'm not fearful of that at all, but you, you have to be flexible. You have to also change with what's going on with, you know, the macro trends or what the world is just doing. It sure feels like this. You, you're speaking as though you are, and I don't, I mean this in all the good ways, not all the negative ways, but you, you're speaking as the Elon Musk of the, of the beauty industry in some ways, like you want to elevate the industry, not simply provide a product that's differentiated in the industry. It sure feels like. Exactly. Like I want, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to change and I wanted to leave because I knew the industry could do better, but people get scared. You know, when you work for a brand, you're so, you know, within the constraints of that brand that I had the creative freedom to start from scratch. And, you know, it's way harder for a brand to just turn around and be like, oh, we're clean now or, oh, we're vegan now. You know, it's a sort of trust. and if you, you know, do something that makes your client untrust you, it's really hard to build that back up. So I wanted to create something that could just show the industry that it could be done and done in a sophisticated way. So, you know, that's why I feel like sustainability is now even a topic because I've been so, um, Put into all the, I, I can't even tell you how many people in the industry have taken me screenshots of my product 
being like showing me as in a presentation as the brand to watch and learn from when it comes to formulation and packaging and stuff. So I say bring it on, but at the same point, like this should be a change. So I'm happy to see that it's happening. It's it's gotta feel very gratifying though to feel like you're already making an imprint on the industry nine months in. Yes. Very satisfying. So what does the future hold? What does 2020 hold? We know what you're what you're on track for for 2019. Yeah. What do you see for 2020 and maybe in the next couple of years for Aether? Yeah, so for 2020, I'm launching a plethora of SKUs to really build out a whole color assortment. So by the end of this year, I'll have over 11 products that I've launched. The following year, it'll add up to about 45. So growing like crazy. Um, but that's also just because I'm a product junkie. And I'm also like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I can do this and I can do that. You know, the hardest part for me on the product side is the packaging, which people always assume it's the formula um, because it is a struggle for other brands. But, you know, um, I'll invest in the packaging in order to make it um, the most sustainable that I can. So and the and the product is in your wheelhouse. That is that is that comes natural to you. It's the other things that we'll might have to sort of sort through, especially with other employees involved, right? Yeah. So I'm excited. Tyler, this is fascinating. I've I've never witnessed uh, a beauty brand just sort of burst onto the scene. And while I will not suggest that I'm a beauty brand expert by any means, it's a pretty cool thing to see a new brand emerge onto the scene in any in industry from a founder who was just working for one of the retailers within the industry just a year ago. That's just got to be a rare thing. So thank you so much for coming on and telling your story. And I'm excited to watch what happens over the, over the coming years. Yay. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That was the story of Tyla Abbott, founder and CEO of Aether Beauty. If you want to check out all she's done as the sole employee, visit aetherbeautyco.com. That's A-E-T-H-E-R beautyco.com. All right, coming up next week, we've got the sharp, funny, and extraordinarily talented Ali Smith, founder of Creative Gangsters and co-founder of Beta and Beyond. A huge thank you to my co-producer, Preston, who is also the leader of the Milo Mastermind community on Facebook, and our incredible assistant, Bilal, for helping put this episode together. We are also proud members of the Podglomerate Network, which features other podcasts like Rocket Ship, Their Own Devices, Writers Who Don't Write, and numerous others. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch me at Brandon Hull on Twitter, if you like, and feel free to drop your rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you next week on Freelance to Founder. The Podglomerate. A Sonic